does the unauthorized disclosure of classified information to the press violate 18 U.S.C. 793, a section of the Espionage Act that criminalizes improperly accessing, handling, or transmitting national defense information? Yes. This is our long-awaited chance to finally get rid of Obamacare. It's not a matter of agreeing or disagreeing, Senator, respectfully. It's a matter of it being the law. And, and my job is to apply and enforce the law. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. Caruso, the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, Tuesday, March 21, 2017. Welcome to the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. A lot coming on. The program today as we had the Senate confirmation hearings of Judge Neil Gorsuch. So we're going to get into all of that. Plus, I told you before, they are trying to get rid of President Trump. They are calling for his impeachment. Democrats are not alone. We have a Republican calling for or mentioning the word impeachment of the Senate confirmation hearings. So all of that's uh, on the docket today. Um, so not only that, but later on, sanctuary cities, you're not going to... Uh, believe the more evidence that's coming out in a rape case um, involving a 18-year-old illegal immigrant and a 14-year-old victim. Uh, so that's later on. But uh, we'll start with this in the confirmation hearings because that's been going on all day. Frankly, uh, the hearings are very long, and they're going to last, uh, I think, are four days of hearings, so through Thursday. It, it's amazing what they uh, what they put um, a— Anybody through in these confirmation hearings, but four days worth of it. And listen, it's uh, it is one of the most prestigious jobs in the country. So um, very much needed uh, to have these long Senate confirmation hearings and ask all these questions. But the problem I have with it is that they're asking the same questions over and over again. I mean, listen, I watched it and listened to most of it today, and all I hear is Neil Gorsuch having to repeat himself, saying, "Listen, I don't pass the laws. That's your job." They don't do their job. That's your job. You pass the laws. I just uphold the law. And the chief executive enforces the law. That's what the U.S. Constitution says. That is the very basic basic stuff. Okay, And you can really tell who lawyers are in Congress, who the prosecutors are, and who the brainless congressmen and congresswomen are. Because um, there's a lot of that. Um, and I'm not a lawyer by any means, but um, I can understand the basics of how the United States judicial system works. Um, tonight, I mean, again, it's just every night the the headline is always a negative against Trump. The, the headline, oh, Judge Gorsuch says that, uh, that anybody who demeans uh, the court system. Listen, was asked a question, okay? I don't know. It's, it's stupid, okay? After, I mean, you have hours and hours worth, 48 hours worth of these hearings. We're not talking about his record. We're talking about, is he going to be a show for President Trump? Listen, okay, based on history, every, listen, Barack Obama, okay, who did he appoint? Sonia Sotomayor, 
a you know leftist from New York. Um, you know, you you have Supreme Court justices there that clearly they rule one side or the other, and it is the president's right to appoint somebody. But in the confirmation hearings, it's not about their are they conservative, are they liberal, are they the the question is are they a good um, upholder of the law? Do they represent the law well? That's what the confirmation hearings are about, not to litigate whether or not the uh, you know they fit their judicial philosophy. I mean, you have Chuck Schumer coming out tonight saying, "I don't think any of us, no senators, are are going to support Gorsuch." Well, you know, they're just—I mean—they're butthurt uh, over the uh, Merrick Garland situation. And more on that in a second, because obviously that plays into this a little bit, but. I mean, give me a break, okay? What do you, the guy is so vanilla, okay? I mean, Neil Gorsuch reminds me of Mike Pence, uh, somebody who wouldn't hurt a fly. He's got his family behind him, seems like a really nice guy. I mean, the confirmation hearings are boring, to be honest with you. It's not a, you know, it's not a Trump rally. And to pin that on him is not fair. What, what Gorsuch said today was great. He said, listen, there are no Democratic judges. There are no Republican judges. There are just judges. And he was very cool, calm, collected, cool like a cucumber today, Neil Gorsuch. Um, and he seems to be a really nice guy. I mean, listen, I, I don't know how you can really oppose him as a person. Um, but, you know, obviously they're they're tying him to Trump and they want to know about uh, what are his thoughts on the travel ban. Listen, what he clearly states, I'm going to play a clip in a second. What he clearly states here is I cannot comment on things that are playing on the courts that I may have to litigate on because it's not it's not fair. If I am, I mean, he was a um, a prosecutor. Okay, if you brought a case to court, there's a trial uh, lawyer and a very good judge in in Denver, and if he were to bring a something to trial, a case to trial, he doesn't want to know what the judge's philosophy is. He doesn't want to know going in, do I have a shot or not? It's not fair to either side. Um, so he's not going to say whether or not he thinks something is constitutional before he litigates it, before it's brought to the Supreme Court. That's just, that's not his role to say right now. And frankly, if you notice, all eight justices, usually there are nine, obviously uh, Anson Scalia passed away last February, all the Supreme Court justices are pretty quiet. They don't speak to the media. They have their own... You know, they speak among themselves and, and they're reserved in, as these cases come to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court is the law of the land. Whatever comes there, the end result is the end result. So whether or not you like the law, which is what Gorsuch said today, he has to uphold the law and go by judicial precedent. That is how our country has been founded. We have laws on the books. We also um, follow precedent. And if something like Roe v. Wade, which was 40 years ago— not that long ago, the court doesn't really reverse itself often. So, you know, to ask him what his stance on Roe v. Wade, doesn't matter what his personal stance is. The point is, it's never going to, you know, it, if it comes to court in some form, he can't pre-litigate, he can't um, pre-judge it, if that makes sense. Um, now, just to look at his judicial record, and I'm going to play you some uh, clips from today. Uh, about 3,000 rulings that he's been involved with as a judge. 
it does reveal a solid, predictable conservative philosophy, something President Trump um, was attuned to when he nominated him, but he's he's pretty mainstream. He's, uh, you know, he's just a normal guy from Denver. Actually, it's funny because I saw um, John Elway, uh, former Denver Broncos quarterback and uh, the president of the Broncos now, um, endorsed him. I don't know why he's getting involved in it, but what have you. Um, now, as as far as the issues are concerned, some of the things that he has ruled on, he has not ruled on an abortion case. Um, he has confronted uh, libel to capital punishment, to regulatory enforcement, tax subsidies. The overall message remains consistent in his philosophy and his rulings. Less is more when it comes to interpreting the rule of law. He's pretty. He's a constitutionalist. He goes by the book. Um, and that's what you want. You don't want an activist judge. And, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, I, I'm liberal. I, I want uh, I want an activist. No, you don't, okay? Because that's not good for the country. You don't want someone that's going to create the law. That's Congress's job. The Supreme Court, there's two things. And obviously, Madison versus Marbury gave them the power to rule whether something is constitutional or not. That is a big part of the constitutional powers. So Marbury versus Madison set the precedent for that, and that's important. The other rule is, is obviously something you get go from trial to the appeals process and go to and apply to the Supreme Court, such as the Supreme Court to accept or not. I think they take about like 85 cases a year, which is not much. And they take the most important and they could set a precedent whether it be on transgender bathrooms, whether it be on, you know, something so high-profile like that or something simple. Um, and then they set pretty much the precedent for the law of the land. But they don't create laws. You have Congress creates laws, the president enforces laws, and the Supreme Court and the judicial branch upholds the law. So just the basics. And for some reason, these congressmen don't get it because there were a million freaking questions today, okay, asking, well, you know, what's your opinion on this law? And Gorsuch, cool, comic collected, it doesn't matter what I think. You know, sure, I have my personal opinions. I'm not going to tell you. It doesn't matter what I think because I just have to uphold the law. And that's what we want, law and order. We are a country of laws. We need to enforce our laws. That'll play into sanctuary cities later on um, when I get into that because there's a hell of a lot more scrutiny now over sanctuary cities. But we'll get into that later because of some uh, recent cases. And other issues that Gorsuch confronted, um, uh, supporting the right for profit, um, secular institutions, um, and individuals too, he argued, to oppose the Obama administration's mandate to provide contraceptives to their workers. Gorsuch affirmed his past ardent commitment to religious freedom against claims of government intrusion. In the Hobby Lobby case, the judge concluded, quote, for some religion, uh, for some, religion provides an essential source of guidance, both about what constitutes wrongful conduct and the degree to which those who assist others in committing wrongful um, conduct themselves bear moral capability. Um, Gorsuch later supported the right of religious nonprofits like Catholic Charities to also challenge the contraceptive coverage 
mandate. Um, now, one thing that they're pointing to, there's really not much you can get on. There's, you know, he's so squeaky clean, Neil Gorsuch. But there is one quote that I don't know why it's coming under criticism to me. I'm going to react to it in a second. This is what he said. It was uh, off the bench remark um, generating concern. It was in 2005, an opinion in the National Journal, written shortly before he um, donned the judicial role, uh, robes. Excuse me. Uh, he wrote, quote, American liberals have become addicted to the courtroom, relying on judges and lawyers rather than elected leaders in the ballot box as a primary means of electing their social agenda on everything from gay marriage to assisted suicide to the use of vouchers for private school education. This overweening addition to the courtroom as the place to debate social policy is bad for the country and bad for the uh, judiciary. Now, this should not be controversial because, frankly, everything, I mean, everything goes to court these days. Everybody sues everybody. So people are addicted to the courtroom, number one, okay? And, you know, people would be a whole lot happier if they just didn't sue over everything. That's number one. Number two, um, to put your social agenda into your rulings is wrong. Rule on the law and don't put your input into it. It's like as a teacher. If you are teaching a certain subject that has nothing to do with politics, first of all, you should never put your own opinion into it anyway— and trying to influence young minds to believe what you believe. But if you're teaching a subject that has nothing to do with politics, don't start saying that, you know, you think Trump is crazy or whatever you believe. Or maybe you agree with Trump. But don't push your views on other people. And judges should do the same. Gorsuch said today, politics is no place in the courtroom. And that is absolutely true. But when you involve congressmen in a Senate confirmation hearing in this politically divided time, they are bound to ask very pointed political questions, and they're trying to get answers out of him as to how he's going to judge. And the Democrats, led by Chuck Schumer, are claiming that he's a right-wing nut, which is far from the truth. He's pretty steady, and frankly, President Trump could have nominated a more conservative justice, someone who is, um, even uh, has ruled in abortion cases. And, and would probably be open about going against Roe v. Wade. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's a total um, political, uh, you know, political mess uh, in terms of these Senate confirmation hearings. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, Neil Gorsuch began his legal career as a clerk for Judge David Centel, uh, Centelli, excuse me, at the United States Court of Appeals, for the D.C. Circuit, he also spent another year of clerkship with two Supreme Court justices, Anthony Kennedy and the retired Byron White. Um, so he has a lot of experience, and that's all you need. Now, traditionally, in a uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearing, judges don't say anything. They really don't. So for them to, for like Schumer tonight is saying, well, he's not answering our questions. He can't answer your questions. Because if he was to answer that um, whatever he believes, whatever his personal views are, that will sound the alarm. He'll never get on the bench. Because you cannot put your personal input, while that's obviously going to seep in, you can't judge based on your personal philosophy. You have to judge based on the law, whatever the law says. And now, how you interpret the law 
is different. Do you believe that the Constitution, the way it was written, was the best and smartest and brightest document that we have that we abide by? Or do you believe it is a loose document that you can that changes with the times? So you can interpret the law differently, but you have to abide by the law. That's just the way it is. Um, let me play you some sound from today. So uh, you had Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, and Dianne Feinstein, the Democrat from California, two senators um, asking questions. Uh, we'll play you these clips because I thought that was one of the more interesting clips from today. Um, I think it's about five minutes or so. So I'm going to play this. And then I'll react to it, uh, Feinstein, the questions, and just listen to how Neil Gorsuch conducts himself. Very Pence-like, very, um, he's a, he comes across very, very well. Uh, so here is, you hear Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa first, and then Diane Feinstein, the Democrat out of California, uh, in the Senate confirmation hearings. This is from Tuesday morning. Well, let's uh, go to a, a kind of a more controversial issue. Uh, but along the same lines I've been asking you, uh, I think the case that uh, most people are thinking about right now and the case that every nominee gets asked about, Roe v. Wade, can you tell me whether Roe was decided correctly? Senator, again, I would tell you that Roe v. Wade, decided in 1973, is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It has been reaffirmed. The reliance interest considerations are important there. And all of the other factors that go into analyzing precedent have to be considered. It is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It was reaffirmed in Casey in 1992 and in several other cases. So a good judge will consider it as precedent of the United States Supreme Court worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. What about Griswold, which was decided a few years before Roe, the case where the court found constitutional right to privacy? Can you tell me your views on Griswold? Senator, it's a precedent that's now 50 years old. Griswold involved the right of married couples to use contraceptive devices in the privacy of their own home. Um, and uh, it's 50 years old. The reliance interests are obvious. It's been repeatedly reaffirmed. All very important factors, again, in analyzing precedent. Well, I think I'm going to uh, stop questioning, but I'd kind of sum up what you and I just talked about in regard to precedent uh, so everybody understands the principles that are at stake here. There are two reasons why you can't give your opinion on these cases. One, I believe, is independence. And the other one's fairness to future litigants. Uh, is that the way you see it? It is, Senator. Um, if I were to start telling you which are my favorite precedents or which are my least favorite precedents, or if I view precedent in that fashion, I would be tipping my hand and suggesting to litigants that I've already made up my mind about their cases. That's not a fair judge. I didn't want that kind of judge when I was a lawyer. And I don't want to be that kind of judge now. And I made a vow to myself I wouldn't be. That's the fairness problem. And then the independence problem. Looks like I'm giving hints or previews or intimations about how I might rule. 
I, I think that's the beginning of the end of the independent judiciary. If, if judges have to make effectively campaign promises for confirmation. And respectfully, Senator, I haven't done that in this process, and I'm not about to start. Thank you. I'll yield back eight seconds, Senator. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. Um, welcome, Judge, and good morning. Good morning, Senator. See you again. Since we're on row, I wasn't going to begin with this, but I well recall the time we spent in my office, and we talked about precedent, and in my opening remarks, I indicated that if anything had super precedent, uh, Roe did in terms of the numbers, and I have put that uh, in the record. Here's why it becomes of concern. Uh, the president said that he would appoint someone who would overturn Roe. Uh, you pointed out to me that um, you viewed precedent in a serious way <clears throat> in that it added stability to the law. Could you elaborate on the point that you made in my office on that? I'd be delighted to, Senator. Um, part of the value of precedent, it has lots of value. It has value in and of itself because it's our history. And our history has value intrinsically. But it also has an instrumental value in this sense. It adds to the determinacy of law. We have lots of tools that allow us to narrow the realm of admissible dispute between parties so that we can, people can anticipate and organize their affairs. It's part of the reason why the rule of law in this country works so well. We have statutes, we have rules, we have a fact-finding process and a judicial system that's the envy of the world. And precedent is a key part of that because, as the chairman pointed out when he quoted a piece of mine, once a case is settled, that adds to the determinacy of the law. What, became, what was once a hotly contested issue is no longer a hotly contested issue. We move forward. And, and Senator, the value of that is the United States Supreme Court takes something like 70 or 80 cases a year. That is a tiny fraction of all the disputes in our federal legal system. Right. My, my law clerks tell me it's something like 0.001%. And they're unanimous in those cases which have divided circuit judges. That's why Supreme Court largely takes the case, because it's divided us. It's one of the rare cases where we disagree. They're unanimous 40% of the time. One other question. Sure. Do you view Roe as having super precedent? Well, Senator, I, 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 a super precedent is a... a in numbers... Well, it, it has been reaffirmed many times. In D.C. v. Heller, the majority opinion written by Justice Scalia recognized that, and I'm quoting, of course the Second Amendment was not unlimited, end quote. Justice Scalia wrote, for example, laws restricting access to guns by the mentally ill or laws forbidding gun possession in schools were consistent with the limited nature of the Second Amendment. Justice Scalia also wrote, that, quote, weapons that are most useful in military service, M-16 rifles and the like, may be banned, end quote, without infringing on the Second Amendment. Do you agree with that statement, that under the Second Amendment, weapons that are most useful in military service, 
M16 rifles, and the like may be banned. Senator, Heller makes clear the standard that we judges are supposed to apply. The question is whether it's a gun in common use for self-defense, and that may be subject to reasonable regulation. That's the test, as I understand it. There's lots of ongoing litigation about which weapons qualify under those standards, and I can't prejudge that litigation. No, I'm just here. asking you, do you agree with his statement, yes or no? Uh, are the statements out of uh, the Heller decision from the United States? Justice Scalia's statement. Well, it, whatever's in Heller is the law, and so I follow the law. Well, it's not a matter of agreeing or disagreeing, Senator, respectfully. It's a matter of it being the law. And, and my job is to apply and enforce the law. All right, fair enough. Let me give you another one. The Fourth Circuit. Judge Harvey Wilkinson authored a separate concurrence in the Fourth Circuit case, Colby v. Hogan. Here's what he said. No one really knows what the right answer is with respect to regulation of firearms. I am unable to draw from the profound ambiguities of the Second Amendment an invitation to courts to preempt this most volatile of political subjects and arrogate to themselves decisions that have been historically assigned to other more democratic actors. Disenfranchising the American people on this life and death subject would be the gravest and most serious of steps. It is their community, not ours. It is their safety, not ours. It is their lives, not ours. Do you agree with Judge Wilkinson that the Second Amendment is ambiguous? If so, should the ambiguity be decided by the courts or by legislatures? I'd begin by saying I hold Judge Wilkinson in high regard. He's a very fine man and a very fine judge. Can you do yes or no? No, I, I'm a, I wish I could. Um, I wish you could, too. But, you know, the Supreme Court of the United States isn't final because it's infallible, as Justice Jackson reminds us. It's infallible because it's final. And uh, Judge Wilkinson had his view, and the Supreme Court has spoken. And, and Heller is the law of the land. And Justice, Judge Wilkinson may disagree with it, and I understand that. Um, and he may, but he will, he will follow the law no less than any other judge in America. I am confident of that. Um, he's a very fine judge who takes his oath seriously. All right. So Neil Gorsuch, the judge from Denver there at the Senate confirmation hearings. So what do you hear over and over again? Do you agree? Is it your opinion? It doesn't matter what his opinion is. He is there to enforce, not enforce the law, excuse me. He is there to uphold the law. The executive branch enforces the law. The legislative branch creates the law based on needs and the Supreme Court, the judicial branch, in a clear separation of powers, upholds the law. Um, you heard a few, so separation of powers is a big topic today. Um, also, what the hell was Diane Feinstein talking about in terms of super precedent? That's not a legal term that doesn't exist. Super precedent when it comes to Roe v. Wade. That abortion is legal. No, what Roe v. Wade says, and Neil Gorsuch talked about this today, is that uh, abortion, that women have a right to an abortion, um, and the government provides that right for the first month, I believe it is, or first trimester, but uh, first month. But here's the deal, okay? After that is a state's issue. 
that that case was very limited, but it does give women uh, the right to an abortion and allowed for a lot of other cases to follow in uh, local court. But that's the law. Listen, I'm pro-life, okay? But I can't do anything about it. There needs to be a case that has to be brought forth. And then that's up to judges on the lower courts. Not everything is about the Supreme Court. You know, just as important as the Supreme Court nominee, and listen, this is crucial, and many people, in fact, the exit polls showed that many people voted based on the Supreme Court vacancy. But the lower courts are really just as important, if not, you could make the case that it is more important because they set more precedents and laws on the local level. And not and only what is it only 75, 80 cases are brought to the Supreme Court every year. So President Trump has to appoint other federal judges on the local levels. Okay, so you know there's um, it's very important and a very important role. And people listen. The American people voted for a Republican president to uphold more conservative values. In our courts, we were founded with religion in mind, our country. We can't deny that. We were founded based on these, you know, core principles, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. So there's a, you know, there's a difference between upholding the law in terms of how the Constitution was written and then, you know, being a bit of an activist, radical judge. Um, so anyway, so that case will play out all week. Um, let me, I did promise you this. I promised you that I would discuss and tell you a, a little bit about these, our Supreme Court. So I did some, I mean, you know, listen, I've studied this. I took a class on the Supreme Court, um, and I pulled all the biographies of the Supreme Court justices. And all I want to tell you is where, where the lack of diversity is, because, you know, people always talk about diversity. Okay. I want to talk about educational diversity, okay? Because ma most of these um, schools, you know, these Ivy League schools are all liberal schools. Now, obviously, you have um, four more, you know, four conservative justices, four liberal justice justices, although um, obviously uh, you have, um, uh, you know, not, not really always a 4-4 split. While the liberal judges always... So-called liberal judges, you know, you know, they they lean uh, liberal. They stick together. The Republicans don't always stick together in cases. I mean, you had John Roberts um, voted in favor of Obamacare, saying the mandate was a tax and making that um, uh, making that constitutional. Uh, Kennedy um, is the one that usually people have to convince to go to their side because he has flipped both sides. But what I wanted to talk about here is, I mentioned this yesterday, educational diversity because, listen, Neil Gorsuch is from Harvard, and we have a lot of Harvard here. John Roberts, the Chief Justice from Buffalo, New York, Harvard Law. Anthony Kennedy, Sacramento, California. Just notice where they're from and what school. Sacramento, California, Harvard Law. Clarence Thomas, now they gave him a huge fight to the Liberal Democrats. And Clarence Thomas is on the record famously saying that just, you know, that Democrats and liberals only – these are Clarence Thomas's words of paraphrasing here. But what he said when he was being grilled and they really did not want him in there 
was, you know, it's funny. Democrats, um, you know, they love you uh, when when you're black and you're a and you're a liberal. But if you have more conservative views, it want nothing to do with you. That's basically what Clarence Thomas said. And, you know, if you think about it, what I'm seeing over, I see a lot of compassion for the conservative side, to be honest with you. Um, to me, conservatism is compassionate. They want to have law and order. They want to uphold the law to protect our people. Uh, obviously, they're globalists within the conservative party. But in general, conservatism is pretty compassionate. What I noticed from the liberal left is that they are only – they claim tolerance only, though. They're only really tolerant if you subscribe to their dogma. Uh, I digress on that point. Uh, Clarence Thomas uh, is from Savannah, Georgia, so that's different. Uh, Yale Law School, though. Ruth Bader Ginsburg – uh, Brooklyn, New York, Harvard Law. Uh, Stephen Breyer, San Francisco, California. Oxford and Harvard Law. Uh, Samuel Anthony Alito, Trenton, New Jersey. Yale. Sonia Sotomayor from the Bronx in New York, Yale Law School. Elena Kagan from New York, New York. Princeton, Oxford, Harvard. So there you have it, Yale, Oxford, and Harvard. That's it. There's really no diversity in terms of education, in terms of their law background. And so what I think would be great for the court is if Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away or she retires or you have another vacancy in the court somehow, if I were President Trump, I would put forth an outsider like himself. I would put forth because the Supreme Court in the past has had a history of academics in the Supreme Court. Um, they have had uh, academics in terms of, you know, not necessarily lawyers. They don't have to be lawyers. You, you know, that's a big misconception. You don't have to be a lawyer to be a Supreme Court justice. So why don't you have someone who's a scholar? Why don't you have someone who didn't go to Harvard or an Ivy League school, someone who's more with the people, someone who's not from New York or California, for God's sakes. Because New York and California do not represent the entire country. And, you know, listen, I'm a New Yorker. I love New York. Always have, always will. But there are a lot of, I mean, there's a big bubble in this city. And people just, they don't have um, disdain like Hillary Clinton showed for the American people. There is a whole country out there, folks, and if you don't know it, if you haven't traveled, if you haven't talked to people from around the country, you really don't understand what people are thinking. And, you know, they show other utter disdain for Americans who voted for President Trump. But if you get to know them, they're good people who voted based on real issues that are affecting whether their wallet or national security, or there are angel moms who have lost their children at the hands of illegal immigrants. More on that later. Uh, meanwhile, you have, you know, Lindsey Graham, okay? Is he even a Republican? When is he going to, like, hand in his Republican card and become a Democrat? I'm so sick of him, and obviously he's been vehemently opposed to Donald Trump since day one. Remember when President Trump and a counterpunch, I, I forget when it was, it was like a year ago. You know, very early on when he gave out, I know it may have been like over the summer, he gave out Lindsey Graham's cell phone number. 
Remember that one? <laughs> and it was his real cell phone number, and he gave it out, and people were calling him. So there's a few going on. Lindsey Graham has the nerve, the gall, to even mention impeachment. And then, you know, people like to jump to conclusions here. And I told you, what is it? Globalists versus nationalists. It's the establishment versus the outsider. Lindsey Graham here at the Senate confirmation hearings, Neil Gorsuch just stood there and, and did not say a word. But this is what Lindsey Graham had to say. Now, about what's going on in the country with President Trump. Whether you like him or you don't, he is president. But you have said several times that he is not above the law as president. Is that correct? Yes, Senator. You told Senator Leahy if there was a law passed that a Muslim could not serve in the military, you believe, based on current law, that would be an illegal act. Senator, yes, I, I see that having all sorts of constitutional problems under current law. So if we have laws on the book that prevent waterboarding, do you agree with me that the Detainee Treatment Act prevents waterboarding? Yes, Senator, that's my, my recollection of it. Firmly. So in case President Trump is watching, which it may very well be, one, you did a good job picking Judge Gorsuch. Number two, here's the bad part. <laughs> if you start waterboarding people, you may get impeached. Is that a fair summary? Senator, the impeachment power belongs to this body. Okay, that's even better. Would he be subject to prosecution? Senator, I'm not going to speculate. But he's not above the law. No man is above the law. Okay. No man. Thank you. Thank I think you, you're a man of the law. And I really want to congratulate the president to pick you. Quite frankly, I was worried about who he'd pick. Maybe somebody on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but President Trump could not have done better in choosing you. And I hope people on the other side will understand that you may not like him. I certainly didn't agree with President Obama, but I understood why he picked Sotomayor and Kagan. And I hope you can understand why President Trump picked Neil Gorsuch. I hope you'll be happy with that, because I am. He's so condescending, and he thinks he's so funny, Lindsey Graham. So sick of him. First of all, who has the name Lindsey? Who names their, child, their, their boy Lindsey? Uh, I digress on that, because, you know, whatever, I can get myself in trouble on that one. But I don't care, okay? Because, listen, frankly... That's like, who who brings up such a thing when it ends in a conversation with a someone who is a nominee to be the a Supreme Court justice? He is lost to uphold the law. What the hell is Lindsey Graham thinking? Yes, no one is above the law. <coughs> Hillary. <coughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no one's above the law? Okay. Um, selling State Department access. Uh, the Clinton Foundation taking money from Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, the UAE, and the list goes on. Over 50% of her meetings for the State Department using a illegal private email server in her basement. Okay, that's illegal on the face of it. Then she had 110 classified emails on there. No one is above the law, really? <laughs> Wrong. So don't tell me that no one is above the law thing because I'm sure we could find some skeletons in his closet and other congressmen and congresswomen. 
because they love to take advantage of the laws that they create. So that's number one. Number two, Gorsuch was very cool and calm there, but he said, that's up to, like, that's not my power. I do not comment on that. And for him to bring up impeachment is highly inappropriate. And frankly, we wake up to a tweet tomorrow from President Trump, it's warranted, uh, about Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham's not the only one today to bring up impeachment. It's brought up every day from the left, but Representative Maxine Waters, Democratic California, now we talked about her a while ago because she claims that that dossier that BuzzFeed reported on that no other mainstream source would even report on, even though that we know the 97% of journalists voted for Hillary Clinton and they've shown bias in their reporting. Well, they wouldn't even report on that dossier. That dossier was given privately to President Trump and it was leaked. And we know that the only people that know about it or that were in that meeting and that know how President Trump reacted to it were FBI Director James Comey, DNI Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, and this was President-elect Trump, this was before the election, the NSA Director, Admiral Rogers, and uh, the CIA Director, John Brennan. Now, I've, if I, I have a hunch it's Brennan who's the leaker, but regardless, I have no base for that. I'm just kind of an educated guess. Um, you have a situation where there is leaking in our highest offices of intelligence in this country. And so that dossier should have never been reported on anyway. Even though it was, we found out it was totally baseless, unsubstantiated, and false. And Maxine Waters, today, get ready for impeachment, period, tweets that. She has accused Trump of having a, quote, Kremlin clan. Oh, so catchy. And believes that he colluded with Russia during the 2016 election. What we know is that no votes were changed and Hillary won the popular vote. What we know is that illegal immigration votes accounted for... According to a survey, 800,000 illegal votes cast for Hillary Clinton. What we know is that the Democrats rigged the primary for Hillary and that she was given the questions to a town hall debate on CNN. Thanks to Donna Brazil. Okay, that affected the outcome because they clearly rigged it so that Bernie didn't get the nomination, which means that Bernie could have been the Democratic nominee and that could have changed the election. Possibly. Because, let's face it, Hillary Clinton was the worst candidate of all time. She is corrupt. She is crooked. She has disdain for Americans. She used a private server. She screwed up royally in Benghazi and lied about it. She handed over national security secrets to people, to other countries, foreign countries. I mean, shall I go on? So... That changed the outcome, okay? Russia did not change the outcome in this election, clearly, because no votes were changed. Get ready for impeachment, she says. In a two-paragraph statement on the House Intelligence Committee hearing, she posted to Twitter that Comey, quote, bears some responsibility along with the Russians, in addition to the confusion and misinformation campaign that led to the election of Donald Trump, end quote. Seriously? Maybe people voted for Donald Trump like I did. 
who were discouraged by the economic policies of eight years that left 95 million Americans out of the labor force and 13 million Americans on food stamps and 43 million in poverty and the slowest economic recovery since the Great Depression in the 1940s or that President Obama added more debt than all 43 presidents before him combined. Maxine Waters writes that, quote, it is clear she cannot trust House Committee Intelligence uh, Chairman Representative Devin Nunez, who said that there is no evidence, because he is a Republican. Okay, take it from Obama staffer DNI James Clapper, who said there's no evidence. Take it from Adam Schiff, who says there is no evidence. James Comey himself says there is no evidence. And they loved Comey when he didn't lay out, uh, when he didn't impeach, not impeach, excuse me, when he didn't um, uh, recommend indictment charges for Hillary Clinton. They loved him then. He's got to go because he became such a political figure and we have to stop politicizing our intelligence. It is unreal. And, you know, I get into a Twitter debate today. And you could check it out at Neil A. Cruz. I don't hide anything. It's all public. Got into a Twitter debate. It was actually a very good um, substantive debate uh, with somebody who I, I, I vaguely know. And, you know, the debate was about uh, intelligence. Uh, well, at least <laughs> I said the, the real story is intelligence. But they, you know, he goes on Twitter that it is, um, it is a, a proven fact that Trump lied and should apologize to Obama in terms of the wiretapping. No, it is not proven. And these are the lies that are being told to the American people. It is not proven that Trump lied about wiretapping because we know that there was a FISA warrant granted in October 2016. We shouldn't know about the FISA warrant. Why? Because of intel leaks. So that's the larger issue here is that there's leaking coming out of Washington that's illegal that is highly damaging to our national security. President Trump has not lied. Wiretapping is a broad term that involves surveillance. What we know is that they surveilled and found out about uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's conversation with the Russian ambassador. And then that conversation was leaked. And if that was just caught on wiretapping from a FISA court warrant, if we didn't know about that, then none of this should have been reported on. We know that Obama requested for, for FISA in October 2016, in uh, June 2016 for the first time. That was denied. It was too broad. Then he was surveilling, okay, Obama wasn't purposely tapping, uh, uh, personally tapping the wires, but his intelligence was. His intelligence was surveilling Trump aides in possible collusion with the Russia. We find out he's clean. Okay? Stick to the facts. And the New York Times reported on that January 20th. Go by your own liberal papers. Because your own sources, if you connect the dots, but people are too stupid to connect the dots, you would know that there, that what he, President Trump, has said, and listen, on intelligence, the president gets leeway because he knows more than any other person in this country. But when he says this is what happened, you have to kind of respect that. If Obama said something intelligence-wise, who am I to dispute what he knows? Or anyone, for that matter. 
Now, besides that, the big um, uh, the big headline this week is also health care. So the president today is warning Republicans, and of course this gets leaked in a private Capitol Hill meeting, and Trump said the negotiation is going well. We talked about the Medicaid negotiations that uh, have gone on and the changes to the American Health Care Act. President Trump issued a stern warning apparently uh, today telling Republicans they could lose their seats in the House majority in 2018 if they failed to repeal and replace Obamacare, according to GOP sources. Now here's the deal. They had seven years to repeal this thing. It's time to get the job done. You know, Ted Cruz says the other day, they're going to tar and feather us if we don't get this done. Obviously, figuratively. And that's true. When you make these promises to the American people, you uh, we gave you the House. We gave you the Senate. We gave you the presidency. Get this done and lower our costs. And so apparently Trump told the rank-and-file House Republicans... Though the party is not successful in passing its health care bill, he says, I believe many of you will lose in 2018. And then apparently he singled out a Freedom Caucus chairman, uh, Mark Meadows, the Republican from North Carolina, who they're, friend they're both friendly, by the way, Trump and Meadows, so that kind of explains some context here. But he kind of picked on him a little bit and, and said that uh, he'll go after him if he doesn't agree with this. Now, according to... Um, Republican sources are saying that uh, there's at least 30, maybe about 33 Freedom Caucus members who are not going to vote for this bill, are not going to approve this on Thursday. And you, the Republicans can only lose 21 votes because you're not going to get any Democratic votes. Here's the deal. The American Health Care Act looks better today than it did when it was rolled out. It was a terrible rollout. Okay, get over it. I get it. Okay, and you'll move on. What do we have today? We have a better plan than we did. Now, House Speaker Paul Ryan is out there saying, oh, the president, he hit it out of the park today. Well, the president always hits it out of the park. But Paul Ryan, where have you been for seven years? Okay, to the present. It's a better plan today than it was three days ago even. But this is going to be most likely an 11th hour decision. It is going to come down to... Some final changes that have to be made if you're going to get these yeses. Um, you know, and then it goes to the Senate after, to the House anyway, if it gets approved. Uh, it just, this is a reconciliation bill. Obviously, they can't pack so much into it, or it can be filibustered. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I would expect some 11th hour changes tomorrow into Thursday before the vote. And, uh, you know, they'll continue to mark this up. President Trump is uh, deeply involved in, in the negotiations, as you know. Um, so that fight continues to go on on Capitol Hill. Um, when we come back, Sanctuary Cities, an alarming report, um, a 14-year-old raped in Maryland from an illegal immigrant. We are going to talk about that. There's more scrutiny than ever, even in that progressive city. And they're calling for the end of Sanctuary Cities. Of course, New York City, uh, they are saying we are going to protect people because it's justice. It provides no justice for the people who are hurt. We'll get into all of that. Plus, uh, a, a memo today put forth by the White House um, for space exploration. So all that and more coming up on the Neely Cruiser Show podcast. By the way, you know... Republicans may have to go nuclear option here on the Neil Gorsuch situation because Democrats are 
Probably not, and they may not even, they're going to obstruct so much, they're not even going to allow Gorsuch to be uh, taken up uh, in terms of a vote. So maybe uh, Republicans may have to go nuclear on this, just like Harry Reid did when they had uh, when they had the majority. We'll see what happens in terms of that as well. We'll continue covering it. The New Light Christmas Show podcast rolls along on this Tuesday, March 21, Sanctuary Cities, when we come back. We're going to start winning again, and we're going to win big league. Big league winning on the Neil Crusoe Show podcast. We have big league content. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Never stop working for you, the American people. The star is born. Neelay Crusoe has inside scoop and common sense analysis on today's breaking news on the Neelay Crusoe Show Podcast. All right, we roll along on the Neelay Crusoe Show Podcast. So uh, this came out today. This was a uh, a new order from the United States uh, federal government that um, Middle Eastern airlines are now facing... Uh, new travel curbs. The U.S. is announcing a bar on people carrying large electronic devices on a flight bound for the U.S., citing security concerns. And then, interestingly, Britain followed suit hours later. Uh, the U.S. ruled target services from cities including Dubai, um, uh, Cairo, Istanbul, um, and others. It may affect about 50 flights a day. Analysts predicted check-in delays at as airports grapple with breaches of the prohibitions and a possible drop in aircraft occupancy, people take alternative routes is with the report uh, that came out today. So um, this is seems, listen, um, even Democrats are coming out and saying, listen, we understand this. Uh, there is intel, it seems, that um, makes the Department of Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly and others in the intel community believe that there needs to be a ban on um, large devices. Now, frankly, I don't know why phones aren't banned from some of these countries because phones could do so much now. And, you know, uh, this is a good proactive measure. For um, Let me give you an example. When the shoe bomber uh, situation happened, before then, we never had to take off our shoes. No one ever thought of that. Now, 
and you have to take off our shoes. And you know what? Fine. I think eventually we're going to be walking through naked anyway because, you know, they had those scanners as it is. I'm kind of being facetious, but at the same time, you know, how could you be 100% sure in an airport? Um, and when you're dealing with some of these um, some of these airports that are uh, are carrying uh, or potentially there are concerns, especially this travel suspension isn't in place because it's been blocked by a judge in Hawaii and originally uh, blocked as well. When you don't have that and you have people that are coming in that have bad intentions, um, laptops we know and have been used for um for setting off bombs and uh tablets and you know i would be concerned about phones as well um there was something that came out today i'm trying to grab it um yeah this this alert bothered me i got this alert today more intelligence leaks by the way um intel saying al-qaeda is working to put explosives and batteries and that's what led to the airline electronics ban according to a u.s anonymous u.s official Enough with the intel leaks, folks. Okay, it's great news. Okay, we also know Al-Qaeda put out a statement that they want to kill us. And, yeah, of course they're putting explosives in batteries. And they're going to do everything that they can to kill us while we're in midair and make the most damage that they can in our country. And uh, these leaks, what's the purpose of it? What political agenda does this fill besides hurt us? That we know now that Al-Qaeda is putting explosives and batteries, and that's what led to the electronics ban. Britain followed suit as well. There's obviously intelligence. I don't know whether that's true or not. Because even Jim Comey said 90% of what's reported in the papers is not true. So, you know, I just, I cannot with these intelligence leaks anymore. You are fake news. Um, but I get the reason for this. Frankly, if they said that, um, that we need to put... All electronics to a scan. You have to come early to the airport. I would understand. It's like stop and frisk, okay? If someone wanted to stop me on the street any day, it could be every day. I don't care. If it keeps our country safe, do it. What, is it going to stop me for two minutes? I got nothing to hide. Do, do it. Um, sanctuary cities is coming under scrutiny. The Trump administration, as you know, cracking down on criminal illegal aliens. Meanwhile, Democratic obstructionists like Bernie Sanders today are rallying outside Border Patrol D.C. offices. They're calling for inclusion and tolerance. Despite the deportations focusing on criminals with charges of murder, rape, there are gangs and other criminals. MS-13 gang members have been deported. Drug dealers. And Bernie Sanders says today, stop picking on the poor, stop picking on the undocumented. We're not picking on anyone. We're trying to keep our people safe. And if you murder someone in our country and you're here illegally, you deserve to be locked up and sent back to your home country. They don't even want them. They send them here, they don't want them back. As you know, as I brought up on the podcast yesterday, the first weekly Declines Detainer Outcome Report identified 118 sanctuary cities that were harboring 206 illegal criminals, including those charged with rape, murder, gun violence, wife-beating, and sex abuse. Are those the people that we want in our country? Those are the people we're releasing to the public. Those are the people that we detain them and release them? Seriously? 
What's wrong with you? What is your goal? You want Americans to die? Sanctuary cities, as you know, disobey federal immigration law. And President Trump has vowed to enforce the laws on the books. There are laws. These are existing laws. And they're denying laws. Cut off the funding. There are 300 jurisdictions that are sanctuary cities. Now, this story is really upsetting and graphic. In Rockville, Maryland, last week on Thursday, a 14-year-old girl was raped by an 18-year-old illegal immigrant with a pending case with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, there was a 18-year-old and a 17-year-old, both illegal immigrants. At least, well, at least the 18-year-old we know is an illegal immigrant. Uh, the other one uh, is, uh, I guess the latest, they don't know his status, probably illegal. And the high school protected their statuses and allowed the illegal aliens to register as freshman high school students. They could not speak English, and they were here, they were freshman high school students, eight and 18 years old. And they brought this 14-year-old girl forcefully into the boys' bathroom and raped her. That cannot happen. She was walking in the hallway when the student, 17-year-old Jose Montano, asked her to walk with them and to have sex. She refused. She's 14. Montano asked her again and then forced her into the boys' bathroom and into a stall where he and 18-year-old Henry Sanchez raped her. Sanchez has a pending case with ICE. And in Rockville, Maryland, yes, I looked this up, they're all Democratic lawmakers that want sanctuary cities because we need to be compassionate. The exact language in the, in the um, directive from these Democrats is that we need to be, um, we need to uphold justice for all and we need to be inclusive and we need to be compassionate. We cannot be compassionate to illegal immigrants with bad intentions. How do they come into our country? This uh, Sanchez was actually detained by ICE, by immigration officers, and then was let go. How does that happen? There was a reason. There was a reason. And now this 14-year-old girl's life is screwed up. For the rest of her life... She will never be the same. Her family will never be the same. She will never be the same. All because someone who didn't belong here, two people raped this innocent young girl in a high school. I tell you, schools are not the safest places. They're supposed to be safe spaces. They're not. They're actually dangerous because they're harboring these illegal immigrants. They don't speak English. They don't even belong in an American classroom. And they're 18 years old in a high school. That pisses me off. And you just ruined someone's life. And the school superintendent was, uh, was finally tracked down. He's been absent since Thursday. And then he gets confronted by a local Fox reporter, Fox affiliate in uh, Maryland. And the Fox 5 station there caught a hold of him. And, you know, he's still like, well, you know, we got to protect those. You know, bad old Trump, he wants to deport criminals. I mean, holy crap. 
Enforce the laws, please. It's anarchy. And then this story today, President Barack Hussein Obama tried to legalize a migrant accused of murdering a 15-year-old, his 15-year-old stepdaughter that he impregnated. The Obama admin last year, not even going to believe this story. I, I mean, I didn't believe it the first time I read it. The Obama administration last year began the process of granting legal status to a 36-year-old illegal immigrant with a long criminal rap sheet, whom agents had twice tried to deport, and who now stands accused of killing his 15-year-old girlfriend, mother of one child with him, and pregnant with another. 15 years old, and he's 36. And you want to know what his criminal rap sheet is? He's a Mexican, Armando Garcia Ramirez. May have been the girl's stepfather at the time that he impregnated her. Something federal authorities apparently missed last year after he was arrested for smuggling five other illegal immigrants into the U.S. We've talked about the smuggling of illegal immigrants. They bring them here and then they sell them as sex slaves. And this Garcia Ramirez... His criminal record includes being arrested in 2008 for assault, but the local prosecutor opted to drop the case. He was charged with theft in 2009, but the case was dismissed. And in 2011, immigration agents arrested him and tried to deport him, but he was granted bond and released. It was unclear what happened to that case, but five years later, he was still in the U.S. where he was arrested for smuggling five other illegal immigrants. This according to federal documents. Mr. Garcia was turned over to Homeland Security agents who pushed for a trial, but the local U.S. attorney refused to prosecute, saying there wasn't a good witness. Immigration agents again tried to deport Garcia, but he was again released on bond. And a month and a half after he was released, he applied for legal status in the U.S. despite his criminal record. And in November 2016, after the election, the Obama administration approved his work permit, giving him the right to work, to get a driver's license, and apply for a social security number and taxpayer benefits. Imagine a criminal is given benefits in our country. And ICE is failing to explain why the cases were never pursued further. They should have, they should have ignored these Jerk politicians who believe it is compassionate to allow illegal immigrants into our country with criminal rap sheets, kill others, and release them anyway. Frankly, these liberal politicians like de Blasio and Cuomo in New York and others around the country, they have blood on their hands. And they're responsible. I hold them responsible because their policies allowed for the rape of a 14-year-old girl. It's sickening. Who are they protecting? Are they so damn concerned about their special interests that they don't care about Americans who are being persecuted by illegal immigrants that are coming into our country? Now, I mentioned Andrew Cuomo. Well, you know, on the health care, and obviously, uh, you know, don't want health care for the day, uh, but uh, just, to, you know, he goes, Andrew Cuomo, the liberal Democrat, New York governor, who has some, you know, po he's been investigated in the past, and people around him have gone to jail. Um, 
like Adam Silver in New York. Uh, he goes, uh, Paul Ryan is unleashed. And that's this radical American Health Care Act. It's going to take people. It's going to hurt seniors. Oh, God. Now, th- this story is hysterical. I'll start going on a lighter note now. Uh, rich New Yorkers are asking Governor Cuomo to raise their taxes. You know, I always say, you know, if they want to pay more in taxes, that's fine. Just don't raise mine. Uh, 80 people, including George Soros, who funds all of these protests, uh, Stephen Rockefeller and Abigail Disney, wrote to lawmakers and Democratic, Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York that they want their taxes to be raised to pay to support schools, roads, bridges, and other programs to help the poor and homeless residents of the state. Well, that would be great because we have a major homeless crisis thanks to Mayor Bill de Blasio. A copy of this letter was obtained by the Associated Press and endorses a plan that would create new higher income tax brackets for top earners to raise a projected $2 billion. And here's the deal. This is the problem. I know if George Soros wants to put a million dollars, you know, first of all, I wouldn't give it to the government because the government's not going to do the right thing with it. They're going to take it. It's going to go into some bureaucratic fund when the money, if you want to, if you really care about the homeless population, why don't you pay for housing? Why don't you buy houses in New York City and allow homeless people to live there? Give them a home for free. You you have billions of dollars, go and do it. Make that your charitable cause. You want to fund something instead of protest? Well, why don't you fund housing? Why Why don't you put the money directly towards veterans in need? If you want to spend your money. Because you have so much of it, you don't know what to do with it. Why don't you help someone directly? But don't raise everyone else's taxes. I mean, people work hard for their money, and I don't take that away from them. And a hard work should not be vilified. So if they want to give more money, give it directly to people. Don't raise our taxes too. It's hysterical though. They want to they want to give their money away? Fine, go ahead. Be my guest. Uh, meanwhile, uh, last but not least on the agenda today, there's just a hell of a lot this week. I apologize, but... Not really, because this is all stuff that you need to know. And that's what I'm doing right here. Omnilay Caruso. <laughs> it's true. That's an old clip. Uh, President Trump signed a bill today authorizing funding for NASA while setting a new goal to send humans to Mars. Um, and so what this bill says today, he signed in the Oval Office, flanked by authors and sponsors of the bill, including Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, um, the law known as the NASA Transition Authorization Act, gives the space agency $19.5 billion in funding for the fiscal year 2018. It also asks the agency to create a plan and send a crew to mission to Mars in the 2030s. Lawmakers also require NASA to create ways to extend human presence, including potential human habitation on another celestial body and a thriving space economy in the 21st century. That's what the bill reads. NASA is receiving slightly more money than Trump requested in his 2018 blue budget blueprint. It included $19.1 billion for the agency, which which have been the most modest funding cut, but he is calling now for, uh, he just signed a bill, $19.5 billion for space exploration. You know, the thing about space exploration, though, um, it is a sense of American pride. You know, when we sent man on the moon, it was a proud moment for us as a country. 
was about believing in our country. You know, President Trump always says, believe in your country once more. Be proud of your country. And be proud of what we've accomplished as a country and love your country. Salute the flag. Thank those who serve. These are our core principles. And frankly, space exploration, I'm not into much government spending, as you know. But when it comes to space exploration, I think there's a sense of pride. There's a sense of... You know, we uh, we can put a man on Mars, hopefully, by the 2030s, and it'll just show how how exceptional our country really is. So it's a good thing. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more on the Gorsuch confirmations and, of course, uh, healthcare as well as just develops throughout the week. The Neil A. Christian Show Podcast. God bless you. God bless America. Go make America great again. The Neil A. Crusoe Show Podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media. And log on to neilacrusoe.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.